Uh, glad to have uh, you all here today. Uh, before uh, we get into, uh, we're going to be studying John 15 together. Uh, and uh, before we get into it, I just want to um, wish all our dads and uh, granddads and really anybody uh, investing in, in the lives of, of other people, I want to wish you a happy Father's Day. Uh, I know um, it's weird, uh, th- this whole, this, it doesn't, I mean, to me anyway, maybe this is just a me thing, but it doesn't really feel exactly like summer break, you know, right now. Uh, summertime, uh, you know, all of uh, my kids' camps and stuff have been canceled for the most part, and, um, you know, no pool, which we were devastated by, <laughs> borderline. Um, and uh, Devastate's probably a little strong, but uh, we, we miss the pool. And so all this stuff is different, but we want dads, granddads, we want you to know that you are appreciated. We love you. We love the investment that you're making uh, in the lives of your, your kids and grand, grandkids. And I just want to pray for you uh, that you would have the faith, endurance, and grace to do the job that God has called you to do. So let's pray together and then we'll get into John 15 a little bit. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for Jesus. And uh, God, we thank you for being uh, the, the ultimate example of a father to us. And uh, I know a lot of people in this room probably have uh, different experiences with their earthly dad. Uh, for some, it was a, a super positive experience. And for some, uh, their experience with their dad um, was not a positive experience. It, it was a hard experience. And so this morning, we just want to pause and uh, we want to look to you as the ultimate example of a father. And may we uh, treat our family and treat the people around us uh, the way that you have been with us as a dad. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and for reconnecting us to our, our spiritual father. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've been uh, in this series, and we're going to be in this uh, series for a, a while longer, um, uh, called Summer of Love. And uh, we're just kind of studying from a variety of different texts and a variety of different angles. We're, we're studying this idea of, of love, and uh, we're in the Jesus section of, of, the, of the scripture now on, on what Jesus had to say on this important subject. And um, in order to understand the text that we're going to study today, let me just kind of lay the groundwork a little bit for the idea of the Trinity, all right? And that sounds uh, like it's going to be almost impossible to do, and it is because it's a big and rich and deep concept. But Jesus is going to tie our understanding of love to the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for us. So it's important that we understand the idea of the Trinity, that God is essentially one God. We serve one God who is in three parts, that, and each of those parts have existed all throughout eternity at the same time, and they are all eternity. Uh, they, they are all... Um, uh, they all have coexisted through, through time. So, and, and we understand this. If you were to ask me about myself, I would introduce myself as Steve, and I would probably say something like, I'm a minister, husband, father, lover of basketball. All those things are true all at the same time, right, about me, but, but there are different roles that I play. Um, God is one God who has existed throughout, of, uh, throughout eternity in, uh, in three different parts. He, he's God the Father. He created the heavens and the earth. God the Son, who came to earth and rescued us from our sins, and God the Holy Spirit, who is given to every believer when they express their faith in Jesus and changes us and transforms us and helps us to live the life God has called us to live. So in this text, 
John 15, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and we often think of the Sermon on the Mount as the longest sermon Jesus ever gave, but if you study the chapters around John 15, Jesus talks for a real long time in in this section, and he's highlighting all the things he wants his church and uh, all the things that he wants his, his believers to understand. And at the top of his list is the subject of love, and so he's gonna teach us some things starting in verse nine. John 15, verse nine. He starts out this way, and we're just going to, I don't do this very often, but this is the second week in a row I've done it, so maybe I need to stop saying that, but we're just going to examine this text kind of verse by verse and idea by idea, and we're going to, I'm inviting you to go for a walk with me, essentially, uh, through this text. So here's where it starts, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. I want you to think about the way and the ways that the Father loves the Son, all right? Because this is obviously fundamental in understand, us understanding Jesus' love for us. So the, how does the Father loves the, the, love the Son? I'm reminded of Jesus' baptism. There came a time right at the beginning of his earthly ministry where Jesus wanted to be baptized by John. And you may remember the story that John initially refuses. He says, no, I need to be baptized by you. Uh, I'm not going to baptize you. The, the, the role should be reversed. And Jesus says, no, I need to do this in, in order to fulfill all righteousness. And John agrees to do it. And when Jesus is baptized, Baptized, let me read to you what, what happens. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. This is my son, God says, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So what are the ways? I don't know if you've ever thought of this before, but what are the ways that the father loves the son? What are some ways that God the Father loves God the Son within the context of this trinity? Well, the Father loves the Son for being the Son. All right? that, that's one point we could make, right? And I think it's a fair point. The Father loves the Son for being the Son. That essentially there's a familial connection here, and the Father loves the Son in, in this way. And I think we all understand this element of love that Cheryl and I um, we have been married uh, this December for 17 years, and I think about even us as, as sinful human beings, the way we love each other, and we've no, only known each other for 17 years. I think about Sam and Lila. We've only known Sam uh, eight, almost nine years, and Lila two and a half years, and we love them fiercely. And we are imperfect people, just like your family, right? We are imperfect people, and we still love each other. Think about God the Father and God the Son. And they've been in a familial relationship, not for 19 years. They've been in a familial relationship for all of eternity, right? And there is no sin in the relationship. There is no shortcoming in the Trinity family. So think about the history of their relationship. Think about the perfection of their relationship and the depth of love they surely must have for one another. So it's a familial love. God God the Father loves the Son uh, for being the Son. The father loves the son for what he will accomplish, all right, for what he will accomplish. It's important to remember, and Jesus makes this super clear in several spots, that Jesus is not forced to go to the cross, right? Jesus willingly uh, goes to the cross. He, He sees what sin has done. He sees what sin is doing to our relationship with the father. He sees what sin is doing to us, and Jesus says, I am willing to go. I am willing to pay for those sins, and I am willing to reunite people with their heavenly father. And it says the father loves Jesus for making that choice. The father loves what Jesus is going to do. And we ought to, and I think we do, we love him for doing that as well. 
The father loves the son as a reflection of the father, all right? So the father loves the son for being the son. He loves the son for what the son is gonna accomplish, and he loves the son as a reflection of himself. Now, again, as fallen, kind of broken human beings, we understand this. Uh, We understand it very well because every once in a while, you will see a part of yourself in your kids. And because we're sinful, that's not always a great look. All right, God's obviously not sinful. Because we are sinful, that's not always a great look. But sometimes it is a great look. And sometimes you'll see your kids and you'll be like, man, I see my generosity in my kids. Or you'll see your kids and you'll say, man, I I see my kindness or I see my leadership or whatever the case may be. And, And you see that and you love it. And you should. There's absolutely nothing vain or conceited about that. You should love seeing those qualities in your children. Multiply it by a billion. Multiply it by a billion. And when God the Father sees God the Son, he sees his character in the Son. And he loves seeing it. He loves seeing his character reflected in the Son, and he should. So there are so many ways in which God loves Jesus. The Father loves the Son. And here's the amazing thing about that verse. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me. So think about everything we just discussed. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I love you. Jesus loves you the way the Father loves him. Let me be a little more clear. He loves you as a son or a daughter. Right? Through the work of Jesus, you have been adopted into the family. And God loves you. Jesus loves you for no other reason than you are a part of the family. You are his son or his daughter. That there's nothing you have to do to earn that. There's no, nothing you have to do to keep it. He just loves you because you're his son or, or, or because you're his daughter. He loves you for, what you for what you will accomplish. That he delights in watching you live out your God-given call, calling. The calling he has on your life to love and serve others. And every time you step out of your comfort zone and you love and serve others, the father sees it and, he, and Jesus sees it, excuse me, and he says, I love that. I I love what they're accomplishing for me. He loves you as a reflection of God. He loves you as a reflection that you are and I, we, we are both image bearers of God. So God sees, Jesus sees his qualities inside of us and, and, and he loves it. This is also why, like we talked about last week, about why um, any sort of ist, racism, you know, all, all that stuff, it's, it's done away with in the kingdom of God because we recognize we are all image bearers of, of God. And so that's just a quick tutorial on, man, as the father has loved the son, so the son loves you. The text continues. Now remain in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This kind of Greek word for remain in my love, it carries with it the idea of uh, remaining, dwelling, abiding. And I know that a lot of uh, people had vacations planned for this year, so forgive me, forgive me if this kind of pokes the bear a little bit, but I want you to think about your favorite place to be, your favorite place to vacation. Maybe for you it's Hawaii or Florida or the mountains. Here's what he's saying, remain here spiritually. Let this be the spot that you love to be. Remain in the love of your Savior. Remain uh, in, in the love of God. And he goes on to say the greatest way that we can do this, and we don't talk about this a ton, the greatest way we can do this is through obedience. Now listen, 
we don't earn his love through obedience. We we don't. Salvation and the love of God comes through grace. God loves you not because you are good. God loves you because he is good. And that's an important differential. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he is good. But repeated obedience, the discipline of obedience, the repeated obedience does draw us closer to Jesus. Right? It, 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 draws us closer, it draws us closer to Jesus because in, in repeated obedience, here's what happens, is we see God's goodness on display when we obey. Every time you step forward and you obey a command of the Savior, you see God's goodness poured out to you. You're like, man, God knew what he was doing all along. This is the best way for, to, to love. And you see his love on display when you obey, and you also begin to love him more when you obey. Let me say it in a more simple way. Things are just better when we obey. You maybe have experienced that at your house as well. If you have kids, right dads? Things just go better when there's obedience. And part of it is understanding the nature of sin. That sin by its nature drives us away from God's desire, will, and plan for our life. The commandments are meant to keep us close to Jesus and his will and his desire for for his life. His commands are meant to bring us life. Now, Let me illustrate it for you this way. Imagine, this is gonna be hard to imagine yesterday and today, but imagine it's raining super hard outside and you're walking up to church or you're walking outside with someone who has an umbrella. And for whatever reason, you choose to not live under that umbrella anymore. You choose to to go your own way and and walk your own way. Let me ask you, what, what has changed? The umbrella is still present and available. It's still there. The umbrella's still there. What has changed is that for whatever reason, you are choosing to stand in the rain, right? That's what's changed. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to teach. He's saying, remain under the umbrella of God's love. Be reminded of his love for you and and celebrate his love for you through obedience. And when you don't, when you fall into disobedience, it's not that his love isn't there. The umbrella is still there. It's not that his love isn't there for you. It's not that it isn't available. It's that for whatever reason, we have decided to stand in the rain. And so can I tell you what grace means? What grace means is that the umbrella is still there. We are in the age of grace right now, that God's love uh, is, is, is available to everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. So what grace says is, man, the umbrella's there, the umbrella is available, and you can always come back to the umbrella. No, no questions asked, you can always come back to it. It is available and it is ready for you to find shelter. So that's a little bit about, he says, man, do your best to remain under the umbrella. The umbrella is where there's life, the umbrella is where there's joy and peace, but if whatever, for, for whatever reason, you decide to take a walk in the rain, and we've all had periods of our life where we walk in the rain, right? That you decide to walk in the rain, understand that it's not that the umbrella is closed. We, we make that correlation all the time. Man, I've fallen into disobedience. God must not love me anymore. No, the umbrella is available. You're walking in the rain for whatever reason, right? You thought it would be better. You thought you were wiser, whatever the case may be. Grace says the umbrella is open and it is available. All you have to do is come back. So verse 12, my command is this, all right? Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. So I want to follow the logic. The father loves the son. The son loves you and I and we are called to love one another the way the Son has loved us. 
This is a beautiful progression of this text. The father loves the son, and we've explored all the ways, some of the ways, not all of them, but some of the ways in which the father loves the son. The son loves us, and we are called to love one another the way the son has loved us. I've shared this with you before, but one of my favorite um, New Testament writers on this, and we'll talk about this more when we get to Paul, Paul's writings. One of the things that I love about Paul is that in his books, as you study Paul's books, the first thing that he does is he articulates God's love within the first chapter of his book. All right, so a great example of this is Ephesians. I'm gonna read to you the first little bit of Ephesians here in just a minute. Um, uh, this is like a magnum opus, <laughs> Ephesians 1 is, uh, of, of God's love. Um, and so he'll articulate God's love, and then as the book goes on, he will start to articulate all the ways that we should love one another. So here it is, and here's an example of it in Ephesians 1. And, and again, you'll, you'll see it on the screen. This is like a magnum opus for what we're talking about today, but here's Ephesians 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given us in the one that he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So he says, this is the love of your Savior. This is the love of Jesus. The Father has loved the Son. The Son has loved us. So now we love one another. And when he gets done with Ephesians 1, as you study the rest of Ephesians, he goes on to say, man, husbands, this is how you are to love your wives. Wives, this is how you are to love your husbands. Children, this is how you are to love your parents. Parents, this is how you are to love your children. Workers, this is how you are to love your employees. Employees, this is how you are to love your boss. All of these examples. But first, we have to understand his love for us. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves us, and then we love one another with the love that we have received. So we have to understand his love. So let me ask you a couple questions. His love for you is unconditional. Is your love for others? Your, his love is full of grace. Is your love? His love is full of truth. Is your love? His love is sacrificial is your love. Verse 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. So I want you to think about one of my favorite things to do in the fall, and I've been uh, thinking about fall a little bit as it's been 185 degrees um, here in Decatur. So I've been thinking about the fall where it will just be 90 here. And uh, I've been thinking about one of our favorite things to do with our kids is to go to like uh, an apple tree farm. And uh, it's it's really, really fun to go to those. We we go every single fall. And I want you to think about like apple trees. And in the illustration of an apple tree, I guess they're called farms, right? An apple tree farm. And an example of an apple tree farm, as we live in Christ, as we walk in Christ, as we receive the Holy Spirit, what are we when it comes to the farm? What are are you and I? What what are we when it comes to the farm? You might be tempted to think, um, because I I had this initial thought as well, that we are like the workers who serve the farmer and we go out and we pick the fruit. And there certainly are parallels there. There there are, there's huge parallels there. But in in Jesus's example, we are not the worker. In Jesus's example, we are the apple tree. That when it comes to an apple tree, you are the tree and you are planted into the soil that is Christ, and the purpose of the tree is to bear much fruit. So I started thinking about this quite a bit, about, all right, so I'm not the servant that goes out and picks all the apples, all right? That's initially kind of what I thought, but in Jesus' example, like, I'm the tree planted in the soil, called to bear fruit. So what is the difference between a servant or a worker and the tree? Well, One difference is that the worker comes and goes depending on the season, right? On an apple farm, you're going to have a ton of seasonal workers, and and they're going to go out and they're going to pick the apples, and they're going to make the cider. Uh, If uh, they've been saved in Jesus' name, they're going to make donuts um, uh, at at the tree farm, and they're going to be ready for visitors to come. And at the end of the season, when all the apples have been picked and all the donuts have been consumed uh, and all the cider's been drank, drunk, (laughs) um, those workers are all going to be gone. And we are reminded that sometimes we become like seasonal workers of Jesus. That the seasons come and go and we find ourselves coming and going with him. The apple tree is different. The apple tree is there to stay. The apple tree does not come and go depending on the season. It is rooted into the soil and the apple tree exists to bear fruit. So my prayer for us when it comes to our faith is that we would not be seasonal workers of Jesus. That we would not come and go with him, showing up when we need something or showing up when we want something, but instead we would do our best year round to stay planted into the soil and understand that our purpose is to bear fruit. The worker, in the illustration, the worker expects to be paid a certain way. Um, The worker's not working for free. They expect to be paid, and they probably expect to be paid well. The apple tree is content to bear fruit. Now, don't get me wrong. The apple tree is well cared for, to be sure. The apple tree is well cared for. It is pruned. It is fed. It is watered. But the tree's priority in the relationship is to the soil. The tree is planted into the soil, and the tree's main thing, the thing that it lives for, the tree's thing is to bear fruit. And so my prayer for us as a church family is that we would drop any entitlement that we have with God, that I deserve to be paid in a certain way. 
Instead, we would be content to have our roots in him and we would be content to bear much fruit. The worker is an outside observer of the fruit. Right? The worker is an outside observer of the fruit. The servant, uh, the, the servant, the worker sees the fruit, he picks the fruit, he's an outside observer. The tree, don't miss this, the tree produces fruit. And it is possible to walk through life and to be an outside observer of all the loving acts, to observe the church being the church again and again and again. It's another thing to actually bear the fruit and to embody and demonstrate love to the people around us. So if this fruit metaphor, (laughs) if you wonder where Jesus is going and what Jesus is trying to teach us about the worker and the servant and the fruit and the tree and all of that stuff, Jesus decides to bring it down to brass tacks with the very last comment that he makes in the text. And here's what he says, right? If the illustration's broken down, I'm not a farmer, so I probably screwed that whole metaphor up anyway. So, So Jesus says, let me just make it super, super simple. Here's my command love one another. This is the fruit that we are called to bear. This is the fruit that we are called to exhibit. This is the fruit that, that uh, we, we are called to demonstrate. That the number one question that we find ourselves asking is not, what does it take to convince someone I'm right? What does it take to win the argument? What does it take to be on the right side of the political spectrum? The question that we are asking again and again and again is, what does love require of me? What is it that love requires of me? Because I am called to bear fruit. And the fruit, the specific fruit I am called to bear is to love. So what do we do? Well, in Jesus' illustration, we make sure that our soil and our tree is planted into the right soil, that we are planted in Christ. In other words, our role in this is we strive to know him. We worship him. We learn about him. We pray to him. We become Jesus-obsessed. Right, that our tree is planted into the soil that is Jesus. That's our role. And then Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit. And did you know that the fruit of the Spirit is love? That's the very, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then comes joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it all starts with love. And so then the Spirit begins to bear this fruit inside of us. But make no mistake about it, our job is not to develop the fruit. The Spirit develops the fruit. Our role and our job is to stay connected to Christ. And here's what I know about Christ. He is love. He knows love. He will show us the way to love. He will empower us to love. He's all about it. God loves the Son. The Son loves you. And we love one another. That's the way this whole thing works. And obviously, the Father loves you too, but you get the, you get the way it progresses, right? God loves the Son the son came and he loved us, loves us deeply. We receive that love and then we love one another. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your example of love. May we love one another the way that we have been loved in you. Um, Your love is unconditional. May ours be unconditional. Your love is full of grace and truth. May ours be full of grace and truth. Your love is self-sacrificing. May ours be self-sacrificing. May this world be forever changed by the church being the church 
and just loving one another and loving this world the way you have loved us. We need your spirit. We need your power. We need your example to do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Find communion.